Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area as always we ask you to please download the app we are an EWTN affiliate, so we have EWTN programming, original programming like Bishop Caggiano, Frontline with Joe and Joe, Restless. So there's a lot of great content. Download the app um, and share it with your friends. And if you like what Joe and I do, please, uh, you can find us on social media at The Frontline with Joe and Joe, primarily on YouTube, The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Help us out. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Let's help spread the word. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Dr. Charles Nemeth. And uh, this is an interesting topic, Joe. Finding happiness in a complex world. Rules from Aristotle and Aquinas. Um, and that is Dr. Nemeth's new book, and that's out from Sophia Press, and we'll let you all know where you can pick it up. You certainly could buy it on the website, but Dr. Nemeth will let us know where else you could find it. Dr. Charles Nemeth, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you, Joe and Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Now, some of you out there may know Dr. Nemeth, but I'm going to give a quick bio. He has been an educator for more than 40 years and spent the vast majority of his professional life in the study of practice of law and justice. In addition, he's published over 50 textbooks and references across multiple editions and is recognized as an expert on professional ethics and the justice system, private sector justice, and private security systems. Also, Dr. Nemeth integrates practical and professional concepts with both classical and medieval thought, especially the ethical and moral principles espoused by Thomas Aquinas, Cicero, and Aristotle. Now, Professor Nemeth uh, presently is professor and director of criminal justice and director of the Center for Criminal Justice, Law, and Ethics at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. He's also served as chief editor to a peer-reviewed journal, the Homeland Security Review, and is now editor-in-chief of Natural Law and Justice. Dr. Charles Nemeth, thank you again for joining us here at the front line. And with that, this is going to be a great conversation, Joe. Because you don't want to know what, because we're, we're, I promise, uh, you know, Dr. Nemeth, I promise we're not going to get you in too much trouble, okay? Um, well, but there's, I, I, can oh, find, I can find my way into trouble literally any time. <laughs> oh, no, you, came, you came to the right place, brother. Um, <laughs> but happiness, and this is what we're going to get into. I, I think we have, obviously, in the modern world, we have so many distorted notions of so many different ideas, whether it's freedom, whether it's justice. Well, happiness is a big one. Um, and I'm we're glad that you're on the show to discuss this. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello, and we're going to have a great conversation. Doc, we always begin with a prayer uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. 
So let's jump into it, Doc. I mean, uh, what makes us happy? That's the question. Everybody asks us that, you know, in life. You, you know, you had that question when you were a kid, and, and adults ask this, themselves that question. Is this a subjective question, or is it objective? Oh, I think it's a combination of both qualities, but the, the project came about because of uh, my many, many years working with young people, um, and it's being directed to young people. It's not a uh, a text that's uh, uh, overwhelming in its presentation. It's a text that seeks to connect with college and high school students because they're a very distressed lot. I've been working with them for almost 45 years. And I, uh, when I came here on sabbatical to Franciscan University in 2018, I noticed something very odd about the students here. They were actually quite joyous. They were actually very different than many of the students I have been encountering since my earliest days in academic life, which was at Niagara on the other side of New York. And I always found the students at Niagara to be amazingly pleasant, happy, uh, contented people for the most part. And so as I've watched over the last four decades, these students uh, and young people, as well as older people, descend into a sort of uh, uh, the oblivion uh, filled with sadness and despair. I said, I have to write something before I'm dead and gone, which maybe gives them a recipe or a series of rules for almost a guaranteed way of happiness. Uh, happiness is uh, one of those terms that's uh, hard to pin down, but it really does have objective qualities to it as well as emotional, uh, passionate, uh, and other sorts of uh, subjective qualities to it as well. And that's what this text does. It lays out all the reasons why you'll never be happy if you crave the following, but you will be happy if you yearn for what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. And ultimately, in both Aristotle as well as Aquinas, Nothing on this paradise lost that we inhabit is ever going to make us completely happy. But if we pine for the creative God that made us and have faith, we will never be really sad, no matter how bad things get. And I think that's the message of the book in a nutshell, that happiness in the temporal world is only partial. Uh, what we need to seek and crave is the the universal truth and the universal happiness that only God can provide. And I think most of our young people don't know that. They don't see that. They're they're going after all kinds of other false gods constantly instead of the one true God that made them. Well, that's what we're going to get into. Uh, Dr. Charles Nemeth joining us here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Doc, very quick, blunt question. Can you have happiness without rules? Uh, no. I mean, uh, you know, some people argue that that uh, human beings, since they're made in the image of God, are naturally good, which they are. I mean, no one's going to deny that. But uh, human beings need to be habituated into certain behaviors. And you can't just let people rule uh, by themselves without any outsider external influences. So without an orderly uh, upbringing and orderly <clears throat> society around you, happiness is much, much less likely. And if you live in a uh, in contravention to your own natures, you can almost be guaranteed that whether that's physically, mentally, or spiritually, you can be guaranteed a very unhappy life. Yeah, let me ask. Let me ask you this. Um, I, I have followed the new atheists for you know over fifteen years. I think their star has fallen because people are seeing the emptiness of their, I don't even know if they would call it philosophy, whether it was, whether it's Sam Harris or 
or Richard Dawkins or any of them, okay? And they're always talking about, about happiness. I see a causal relationship. Now, I, I, I want your comments on this between the, not just the decline of Christianity that's been going on for the last couple of centuries, but, but an absolute dive into the abyss of, of, of nihilism, of atheism, um, and yet at the same time, these same people say, well, just just whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't harm another, and that's that's what will make you happy. I think that it's I, I think it's the dive into this abyss that has led to young people being so miserable. I think on a hopeful side, I think young people are starting to wake up to the emptiness of that worldview. What do you is my assessment wrong in this? Um, because I just find, like I said, I find the new atheists, their 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 worldview to be empty and lacking and lacking meaning. And and even though they they propose happiness um, or that's the road to happiness, I find that to make people a lot more unhappy. Um, I hope that wasn't too muddled, Doc. But, you know, no, it's a, it, it's crystal clear and it's a perfectly accurate. The the choice of the abyss leads to nothing but depression and sadness. And we see that. Uh, literally everywhere. It's funny, when I came here to Franciscan, I had forgotten what it was like to see the role of faith and belief. And most Catholic universities are not adhering to this as much as they used to. When I when I went to Catholic universities, there was, uh, you know, regular religious practices. It was part of the fabric of life. Uh, Franciscan is one of the only places where I've seen faith in action, literally everything you do and everywhere you go. And you rarely find people that are sad here. You find people who have a kind of a strange internal joy that I'm not used to seeing. And as I said, this is what prompted me to see the relationship between religion, faith, belief, spiritual belief, and happiness. There's just no denying it. All of one of the chapters in Finding Happiness is dedicated to that proposition. They look at uh, the differences in people's health who have faith and people who don't. The the longevity of, uh, of your lifespan is reviewed in all these empirical studies. People with faith live longer than people who don't have any faith. Uh, you know, sickness, uh, sadness, depression, all those things are higher in people who have no metaphysical traits or transcendent traits in them. So I think what you're saying is absolutely true. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody around here or I am or anybody else, I'm not, nobody's perpetually happy in the temporal world. We're all going to be sad and depressed sometimes. That's part of happiness. <laughs> we wouldn't even recognize happiness if we, we didn't know what it was like to feel down sometimes. So uh, most of what's being sold in the modern snake oil world that we live in is that you can be frenetically happy all the time. You can be exhilarated all the time. You should never, ever be dejected or sad. But we can always make you happy if you talk to the right psychologist, if you take enough pharmacology, if you if you do all the things to keep you propped up inside of this phony happiness that never has any substantiality to it. So I think the the role of religion, spiritual faith, belief in an belief in an afterlife, is crucial. It's central uh, uh, to happiness, and without it, you're you're destined to hit a dead end. But one of the Dr. more Charles, yeah, I'm sorry. Got, you know, no, Dr. I was Charles going to mention that one of the more interesting things in finding happiness is the study that on the, the called the nun study, this review of a group of nuns from Baltimore, the SSNDs, which has been conducted by Harvard University and other researchers since the 19th, late 30s. And it's been a review of what 
happens to these nuns as they move through their entire life. And a lot of the people who conducted this study were hardly religious, but have since somewhat become religious because they can't explain why these people live so long, why these people never have sadness, why they're not depressed all the time, why they don't why they don't even seem to get Alzheimer's or dementia. Even when, you know, when you look at the general population and look at the rates of dementia and Alzheimer's and you compare it to these SSND nuns, it's staggering the difference. Even though some of the physical signs of dementia may be showing up on uh, brain scans and so forth and so on, they don't exhibit it externally. And I'm convinced it's because of their spiritual dimension their selflessness, their charity, their care for others. That's what makes people happy uh, and content and tranquil in human life. Dr. Charles Nemeth is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, Way in the Breach, Dr. Nemeth's new book available at Sophia Press, Finding Happiness in a Complex World, Rules from Aristotle and Aquinas. Th thank you for that, Doc. And I know Joe's going to seize on that because, you know, that's one of the things we talk about on the show all the time is the, the absolute joy and happiness you see when you're around. In the, in the case you mentioned, the, the, the nuns, we say generally like when you're around Sisters of Life. But either way, let, let me hand it over to Joe. There's so much that you said that is absolutely spot on. There's so much to dissect. I'll just talk about the nuns first. Um, I work on Wall Street. I have in my career almost 25 years, um, I've encountered wealthy people, wealthy. I have also, for a significant amount of time, worked with the missionaries of charity. They have two outfits, one to wash, one to wear. They live in a common room. They have no personal time or personal space, just about. They live poverty. I have never in my life, and I have met wealthy people, met happier people ever. That is a fact. No one's going to tell me different. I'm just just sharing with the audience my experience. And that defies all secular and worldly understandings of happiness, because under every definition of what's supposed to make you happy, those nuns should be miserable. They are not married. They're far from it. <laughs> far from miserable, JoJo. So I, I just want to say that because people like, like, I always try to, Doc, like when we're talking, try to put like, because, you know, we're on the radio. So people could be driving in the car and be like, who are these two crazy Italian guys from New Jersey? What are they talking about? No, I'm just telling you right now. What I'm saying is straight up and down the truth. It's a fact. Um you know, and, and I'm glad you said that 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 came from Harvard, that it's not some wacky like, you know, uh, you know, person saying that that's straight up and down the truth. It's the truth. Well, and, and, and a great many of the empirical findings inside of this te uh, this uh, short work uh, are from the secular world and they're, they're they're stymied by it. They they find it difficult to believe that people can be happy who are living these states of being that you're mentioning. I mean, we encounter here a new order of nuns called the Dominican Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and we also have the Sisters for Life at Franciscan. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> they're some of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, they're, they're astoundingly happy, but yet I know many wealthy people that are just miserable constantly because they crave all the wrong things. I mean, their whole lives, their whole purpose is to make more money and more money and more money. And it's like it's like chasing a, 
uh, a merry-go-round that never stops. And, and, and there's no joy in it after a while. Another interesting study that comes out of the text is that once you make over a certain amount of money, your happiness quotient plummets. So, so uh, I think the number was $178,000. After that, it starts to go downhill unless you find a way of sharing and being charitable and giving to others. In fact, I meet many rich people. There are many generous people here at Franciscan who sit on the board of trustees here who are very well-heeled people who give so much away, but they're always in joy over it. They see that what they're doing is honorable and there's nothing wrong with money. It's just when you don't do anything constructive with money. I had a conversation on another uh, uh, channel about this very question. Look at all of our professional athletes. 78% of them go bankrupt by three years after they retire. But look at the actors and actresses. Look how happy they all are. They have no money. They have nothing at the end of their life and they're and they live in desolation in many, many ways. And while you uh, mentioned those nuns, they, they live anything but desolation. They're in complete joy in many respects. So I appreciate what you're telling me. Dr. Charles Nemeth, it reminds me of, uh, you know, reminds me of the, uh, Al Pacino in the movie Scarface, where the, the whole movie is spent with him pursuing <laughs> wealth and uh, the dream and the world is yours and everything else. And there's that great scene in the restaurant where basically he's gotten it all. He's completely miserable. He's all coked up. Okay. Right. And, and, and he's, and he's completely, completely miserable. And he has that great speech. And he basically says, I think what you just said in a nutshell, when he looks at his partner there and he says, is this it? <laughs> is this that, it? That's right. And that's where the, that's where the happiness quotient goes down. Let's let's Joe and I love Dr. Charles Nemeth joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe and I always say on the show that we learn uh, from our guests as much as our audience does. Okay. Cause we, we only think Joe and I have PhDs in is common sense. They're hanging all over our walls. Okay. I went to but Harvard I'm, on the Hudson. Doc. Harvard that's on the gotten Hudson. me pretty far, but, uh, <laughs> but we love talking about philosophy. We love, uh, we love it when, when we have people on talking about philosophers and philosophy and ultimately happiness is a philosophical concept uh, you know, we have to explore what happiness is, ask questions, uh, make arguments. Well, Aristotle and Aquinas. All right. They had something to say about it. But let me preface um, moving forward with this. Why are Aristotle and Aquinas still still relevant today? Uh, because their uh, virtue theory and their theory that relates to human life and human flourishing is timeless. It never changes. They're, they're all these centuries apart. One's a pagan. Uh, who believes in a supreme being, but is a pagan. Uh, and the other is the angelic doctor of the Roman Catholic Church, and they both come to the same conclusions. Uh, th there's simply there's simply no way for these people to be discounted. Uh, they've been around so long, and if somebody could show me how the virtue lifestyle or the lifestyle that is orderly and consistent with the ultimate purpose for why we're here in the first place is a bad prescription for human living. Uh, I'll give them, I'll give them a million dollars because I can't see anyone has ever disproved it. Most people don't know that uh, Thomas Aquinas always referred to Aristotle as the philosopher. He would put it in quotes. He, he was such a lover of him. Uh, uh, in terms of his thought, that he always complimented him constantly. And that was not very favorable uh, in the 13th century in the Roman Catholic Church to be so attached to uh, 
to heathens, so to speak. But and, and he also wrote a massive commentary on Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And that, of course, is the virtue book that Aristotle puts on the table for how to live a good life, uh, to be a good person. But Thomas wrote about an 800-page commentary on that. And again, what you see in these two is a timeless perennialism. It's a perpetual theory that never dissipates. It's a promise that never will fail you. It never, ever evaporates if you follow it. It doesn't mean that we're all saints, because I certainly am not. And it doesn't mean that we don't fail and we don't make mistakes and we don't veer off that path that they're laying for us. But I think for the most part, when I consider my own life and look at the people around me, I would much rather prefer a person who is trying to live the good life, according to them, rather than avoid the good life and adopt other things. So I think that's why they're here and they're not going away. They'll be here in another. If, if God lets the earth continue, they'll be here as, uh, uh, for, forever because they've never been disproven wrong. I, I, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but one way one way I know and again, I like picking on people like Sam Harris. I think he's full of crap. I know this is family radio, okay, but I think he's full of crap. Um, but uh, one way I know that they, their their worldview is empty um, and meaningless and they have nothing to say is when confronted with arguments from Thomas Aquinas or even when confronted by, by someone who says, well, what about Thomas Aquinas and proofs for the existence of God, this, that, and the other thing? His only response is, well, Aquinas believed the earth was flat. That shows me he's a coward. <laughs> and he can't argue with these timeless ideas that you're talking about, Dr. Nemeth, because, again, they're offering subjectivity. You know, everything is subjective, even though, I, again, it's all muddled when it when it comes from them. But I find it to be very convenient that that's their best argument because they cannot confront. They can. They're not intellectually equipped to confront uh, Aquinas's arguments. Uh, quick comment on that, Doc, and then I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Oh, I even think the five proofs for God's existence have never been disproven for the most part. I mean, there could be some disagreements about the style of how he seeks to prove it. But both Aristotle and Thomas have the same principles on how we prove there must be a supreme God. Right. And that's and never been, I don't care what Hawkins or any of them say, uh, all you got to do is show me a picture of a domino, one hits the other, and that's all I need to know. There's no disproving that. Sometimes it's just plain as the nose on your face. Dr. That's Charles right. Nemeth joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, very quickly, his new book is out from Sophia Press, Finding Happiness in a Complex World. Rules? Yes, there are rules out there, people. Rules from Aristotle and Aquinas. Joe Resinello. Doc, there's so much you've said, um, and I want to touch on your experience as an educator. You talked about, like, seeing kids being unhappy. I could remember going into a restaurant <clears throat> with my wife, and a 16-year-old girl, local girl, high school girl, waiting on me, and just the joy was out of her face. I could remember her to this day, and I said to myself, I probably even said it to my wife, how is this 16-year-old girl not happy? You're 16. It is sad to see a young person not full of joy. That's the time you're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be happy all the time. And there and what you said, I agree with well, all not the, all not all the time. <laughs> no, but I but I do think I think that that is a pervasive situation in America right now. And why do I bring it up? I think it's pervasive in adults. We're not formed, doc. 
I'll be honest with you. I don't think there's proper formation. People are chasing after things that will never make them happy, but that stems to are we formed? You know, not everybody is raised by good Catholic parents. They're just not. A lot of kids, their parents are chasing after crap. What is going to, how are they to know? You know what I'm saying? But yet it applies to them whether they know it or not. So that puts some onus on the church, number one. It puts onus on Catholics, number two, that we have to speak in the public square and educate people. Talk about that because you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, there's a lot of people, people getting married. I could talk about that, too. I've taught pre-Cana. I know what they want when they're getting married. They want to be rich. That's the goal of their marriage. I see it in their face. I tell them that's the first question I've asked. What is the objective of your marriage? I know the objective. They don't have to tell me before I, before they say it. Speak about this because the lack of formation, I believe, is somewhat at the root of this. Uh, I, I couldn't disagree uh, at all with what you're saying. In fact, even in our own uh, magnificent church, there's a lack of formation that has been taking place in the seminaries as well as the Catholic schools. I mean, I've seen it. I went to classical Catholic schools where I studied St. Thomas. I studied all the classics of of the great doctors of the church. But by the time my kids got to high school, they were they were studying I don't know what. You know, I mean, and we have not formed people. Uh, either philosophically or theologically, even in our own homes, uh, I see evidence of this. This is, again, why Franciscan is such a unique place. I mean, what these students study here is is enough to floor me, because most students who go to Harvard or Yale or anywhere else, they're not exposed to anything now. They're just exposed to all this rot and all this pop culture and all, all the stuff that doesn't uh, shape or make a person into a, as Aristotle said, it doesn't allow for human flourishing. It just allows for uh, whatever is the moment demands or what pleasure you want or what, what, how many pictures can I take of myself? How many times can I look at myself in the mirror? How many times uh, can I bully people on the, in the uh, cyber world? And the, uh, yeah. Th this is what's happening now. These young people don't have, they don't have the confidence they once had they once had to know what the purpose of human life is for them the purpose is often just being zombies on their phones i mean i see that all over the place how many people in new york city died last year walking out into traffic while they had phones in their hands to talk about a lack of formation it's a lack of awareness there is very very it's a very deep deficit it's going to take a long time to recover from i but i have argued that i've seen much evidence uh not only here at franciscan but other parts of the world people starting to wake up they're saying we can't have this emptiness and i think uh we need we need to go back to substantial things we need to study the classics we need to look at what is true for everyone in every situation and in every place rather than what is relative or whatever it is that you want. doesn't matter what I want. That's why they're the way they are. They, they're rudderless because we didn't have the gumption to form them into strong citizens as well as strong Christians, Catholics, or whatever their faith might be. We've been resistant to do that because we see it as being too judgmental. So I, I don't disagree. I think it, it is a formation. And it's Dr. Charles Nemeth, I, I, you know, just it struck me. We're going to go to I'm just going to make a quick comment and then we're going to go to a break. All right. Because on, on, on the other side of the break, I want to talk to you about limitations. Um, 
limitations on happiness and maybe get into an authentic definition of freedom. But when I heard you say rudderless, rudders imply rules because the rudder keeps you on a straight line when you're on a, a body of water that's moving all over the place. You have to keep your hand on the rudder, which means there are limitations. There are rules. And I, I, got, I think you would agree with this. We live in a world where rudderlessness is what's promoted. Don't right. worry about the rudder. Well, without the rudder, guess what happens? Your boat turns over, you drown, you die. Okay, that's what it comes down to. So that's my quick comment. Dr. Charles Nemeth is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Doc, finding happiness in a complex world, rules from Aristotle and Aquinas. Where can our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network buy the book? Sophia uh, Institute Press or SophiaInstitute.com. Awesome. And you can buy um, it at Amazon or it's all in the bookstores, Barnes and Noble, and any place books are sold. And everybody out there in our audience, Doc, knows what I'm about to say. Don't buy it from Amazon. Don't buy it from Amazon. Go on no, we'd rather see you buy it from Sophia. <laughs> That's right. But let's support our Catholic publishers. And you go on there and you buy Dr. Nemeth's new book. You'll find other many hundreds, thousands of great books that we all should be availing ourselves of and reading. So Dr. Charles Nemeth is with us at the front line with Joe and Joe. 1350 on your AM dial is the Veritas Catholic Network, 103.9 on your FM dial. Stick around. We have another great segment coming, coming your way. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So... Let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We're way in the breach with Dr. Charles Nemeth. We are discussing his new book, Finding Happiness in a Complex World, Rules from Aristotle and Aquinas. Joe, I'm going to hold off on my question. I want to I want to hand it over to you. Uh this is my claim. I'm going to say this, and I'm interested in your response. I believe you cannot be happy outside of God. I don't care who you are. Why? Because God made you to love him, to serve him, and to be with him forever. Every person, he loves every person, but that applies to you. When I have brought this up to people, I call it the natural law. I don't use the term God because it'll turn people off. I say the natural law applies to you. And I've taught this in various, uh, you know, roles within the church as a catechist, whether you acknowledge it or not, it's like gravity. If you jump off a roof, if you say, I don't believe in gravity, but I'm going to jump off the roof, you will soon find out that gravity exists. It's the same thing with the natural law. You could say, I don't buy into it, but it applies to you. And when we rub up against it, we are unhappy. <clears throat> An Italian priest said this, and I'm just going to kick it over to you because I always have to break it down to grated cheese and, and pasta because I'm <laughs> Italian. And I think this is how people will understand it. He said, sin is like when you have a cheese grater and you rub the cheese against the grain, what happens? It cuts. But if you rub the cheese along the grain, it doesn't. It's the same thing. Sin, defined by the natural law, applies to you whether you acknowledge it or not. And it's going to cut you and it will take away your happiness. That is a subject that the world refuses to acknowledge. 
But if they did acknowledge it, we just solved the problems of 50% of the issues that take place in the United States. Right now, people, if you're listening to me, we just solved 50% of America's issues. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, nobody's a greater proponent of the natural law than I am. I've written extensively on it. I teach a course here at Franciscan on the natural law. And everything that leads to unhappiness it correlates uh, uh, to vice rather than virtue. And all vice is in all and always in uh, abject opposition to the natural law. So everything that people are running after, whether it's promiscuity, whether, whether it's uh, uh, prostitution, whether it's drugs, whether it's uh, the endless body pursuit, the endless uh, effort to stay young, uh, you know, every single thing that's in finding happiness where people get sad is because it is in opposition to the natural law. Never having children, never getting married, never having a family, never caring for your for your offspring, uh, trying to remain stupid rather than bright. You know, <laughs> one of the tenets of the natural law is that you shun ignorance and and you seek out truth. Okay, and and obviously we live in a world where ignorance seems to reign stronger than truth does in many respects. All we have to do is look at our political class and we can reach that conclusion. Sure. So I couldn't agree with you more uh, that everything that brings sadness is always unnatural. And this is also true, uh, you know, in, in the homosexual state, people can can say it's insensitive or you're you're angry because someone might say something. But homosexuality is in opposition to the natural law. All one has to do is read the catechism of the Catholic Church, whether they change it or not. Uh, I, I'm not sure that Pope Francis is trying to unilaterally change it or, or uh, the German bishops are making an effort to change it. But there is great sadness in that community. It's not and it's not because people are condemning them as individuals or hating them or despising them. It's because the action of homosexual sexuality is in opposition to the natural law in the same way that promiscuity and prostitution are in opposition to the natural law. So I think you're exactly right. If you want to assure a happy, not only individual, but a happy collective, a happy state, a happy political class, adhere to the natural law. For most of the West's tradition and history, we did. This country, this republic was founded on natural law principles. They may not say Thomas Aquinas did it, but they certainly always attribute it to Cicero. And Thomas and Cicero are very similar. I wrote an entire book about that. They agree as well. So your your insight is right on the mark. Let's um let's talk a little bit about uh, there's so many places I want to go. Dr. Charles Nemeth at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um let's talk about freedom a little bit because you're talking about chasing after the, the these bodily pleasures, right? Basically doing violence to the natural law or violating the natural law, whether whether it's through promiscuity, whether it's through, uh, you know, uh, homosexual sex and all, in so many different ways, okay? But it's sold as freedom. Now, I find it to be paradoxical, okay, that that the, the person who is done, now, th th this is my uh, uh, proposal, and you, I'm going to throw it over to you, Dr. Nemeth, Okay. I would tell all young people out there, and this resonates with young people because I, I anecdotally I've had conversations with young people on this, okay, and they see it, they see what I'm saying, okay. Um, they're sold freedom 
Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's the way we talk about it here. That's the culture, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll culture. Okay. Uh, they're sold that th th that's being sold to them as freedom, which leads to their chains, which leads to their enslavement. The church proposes rules, whether they be the Ten Commandments, uh, the Golden Rule, uh, the 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 uh, uh, all the morality that's proposed by the Catholic Church. Okay, and that's being sold as slavery. Yet the one is slavery, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and true freedom can only come with being a slave to the truth, which is Christ, okay? Who is Christ, all right? That's my proposal. And, and that means all these things that when somebody sells, says, I got a bridge to sell you, tell them to take a walk because that's what they're <laughs> selling you, a bridge. Doc, talk to that because I think that resonates with young people because they find themselves in chains, Dr. Nemeth. And I think the Catholic Church, I know the Catholic Church has the right answer, which is what we are talking about. Natural law, discipline, adhering to, uh, pursuing the good, the true, the beautiful. Go ahead, Doc. I'm handing it over to you. Uh, I, I think you're essentially uh, uh, corroborating uh, John Paul II's notion that, uh, you know, sexual freedom is essentially slavery. You have enslaved yourself by believing that this is setting you free when it does the very opposite. Uh, I, I think that's one of his greatest insights, and you just reaffirmed it. But also throughout Finding Happiness, you're going to see a discussion about uh, wh which type of people get STDs. Is it the promiscuous or the less promiscuous? Which type of people have happier marriages later in life? Are they the ones that started having sexual relations when they were teenagers in high school? Or are they the ones who waited, waited and were more sensible about it? Uh, which, you know, the, the rates of STDs in our culture are staggering. There's a, there's almost 500 different variations of STDs for people to catch now. How is that freedom? I see, I see no freedom in that at all. And let alone the, if there's no parameters where sexuality can express itself in any form or any fashion, it's just a matter of time before polygamy is going to be legalized. And, and even for that matter, why not? If, if that's okay, why, why can't bestiality be okay? Why can't anything be okay? And that's not freedom at all. That's, that's a form of degradation and destruction of the human person, which eventually uh, leads to a, a collapsed individual, a ruined individual. So there's no freedom in that. There's no liberation in that. There's nothing but captivity to the very things you lust after. So that's why the church does, and I do agree with the Catholic dogma, Catholic, the Catholic precepts of the natural law, the ideas that that you have to have parameters for everything that you do. You just can't do everything you want. You have to do it within a context, and that's why our rules are on marriage and and uh, uh, you know the, uh, the the rule on adultery, the rule on fornication. We we can't we can't tolerate these things as if they're they have no consequences. Look at the culture around us. The consequences are right in front of us. Whole groups of people have 80% of their families don't have fathers in them. How can this possibly be a sign of freedom? Talk about enslavement. That's the mm -hmm. worst form of enslavement there is. Joe, Joe Rasinello on the show, he says, Hey, 
Go look out your window if you want to see how it's going. I have a I have a quick comment, and then I'm going to hand it over to Joe. One of the best analogies I've heard came from uh, Bishop Robert Barron when talking about rules, okay? And he likened it to baseball. He said, you get a bunch – now I'm paraphrasing, but he said, get a bunch of stud players, right, with bats and gloves and balls and, like, a bunch of Derek Jeter types, all right? And you put them out on a field, okay? And, and just, just let them go, and you sit there and you watch it. You're, what you find is you're watching nothing but chaos. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. nothing really going on. They don't know what, you know, there's, there's, and then he says, as soon as you put down a foul line, now you have a game. Right. And then when you add the foul line in the pitcher's mound and the bases and the home plate, why? Because the foul line and everything else provides the rules, the context within which these stud baseball players can truly flourish. So what you had before, even though it looked like freedom is, is, is nothing but chaos, and what you have now with the rules is something beautiful. I always loved, I always loved that analogy. It's a good analogy. Um, it's a fine analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Resinello. We're talking about happiness. Um, and I think this is very important. Sacrifice. Because to be fulfilled and to be happy, one must sacrifice. Love is sacrificial. Now, this is completely foreign to our culture. We live in a selfie society. It's about me. It's about me. But that is not going to make you happy. I have five children. And one of the first words out of a child, I'm fully versed about young children. One of the first words out of a child's mouth is mine. This is innate to all humans. And we struggle to rid ourselves of that word until the day we die. And our faith as Catholics, through Jesus's example, through the grace of the sacraments, help us to do so. And in doing that, we are happy. But that is an act of will to sacrifice, which goes against the grain of everything the culture tells us. How is this integral? to the, the quest for happiness, because it is. Oh, I, I think uh, the, the, the text is filled with examples of people that, that people who are charitable, who give money away, who make donations to worthy things. I even put people, uh, actors like Gary Sinise, who uh, he, he's an individual who's been dedicated to Vietnam veterans and veterans issues. He's a, he's a Hollywood actor. How many Hollywood actors are really happy? He's a very happy man because he's given most of his life away. He gives his money away. And I think you see this too with people like uh, Andrew Carnegie. This is a man who was worth $230 million when he was near death at the turn of this century, and yet he gave almost all his money away because in the end he felt that the money was meaningless and he needed to give it away to worthy causes. And in New York City, you see the evidence of his worthy cause. In Carnegie Hall, in Pittsburgh, there are 10 libraries. Every city you go in, in San Francisco, there's something that was left behind. And I'm not saying he was a saint, but I was, I'm saying he left this temporal orb a lot happier than the people who just hoard the money and do nothing with it and make no sacrifices for others. A life of sacrifice is a much happier life than a life of self-serving, hoarding. There's plenty of hoarding going on. That's why nurses as a group, I don't know if you've ever met many miserable nurses. I have not. Most nurses I meet are very pleasant people, and they love their work, and they give to others, just like we were talking about nuns and and priests and monks and people who give their lives to others. 
they don't suffer the emotional and neurological trauma that most of the rest of the population suffers from. So I, I completely agree with your assessment. Dr. Charles Nemeth is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. The book that he has written is Finding Happiness in a Complex World Rules from Aristotle and Aquinas. I have a question, Doc. I don't think it's any shock to anybody out there that the family as an institution, as the building block of society, I want to break it to all you conservative Americans out there, and we are generally conservative people. The individual is not the building block of society. The family is, okay? And obviously, Dr. Nemeth, the family is under attack. You guys are talking about sacrifice, uh, finding happiness through sacrifice. People would say, well, how do I sacrifice? How do you know? How could I find ways to sacrifice? How about get married? <laughs> how about have kids? Okay, because guess what? You're going to find yourself with. You talked earlier about be, uh, uh, being habituated. Uh, you know, developing good habits. You want to develop good habits and virtuous habits. Get married. Get married young and have kids. Okay, because that's going to. I, I can tell you, I uh, uh, I got married. I've been married 51 years. Uh, but until I had kids, we had kids about seven years into our marriage. Uh, I, I was incomplete. And then we had seven kids in a row. And my life has never been richer because of it. There's nothing in there. I When I watch that Stacey Abrams on TV the other day say that having children is an economic burden and therefore abortion is a very good thing so you can save your money. This is what came before me. You cannot be happy thinking like that. Talk about unselfishness that uh, there, there's she's nothing but a selfie as far as I'm concerned when you exterminate a human being in order for you to have enough money. So that theory can never work. I agree with you. You don't really grow and flourish to your fullest extent until you do marry and until you do have children. I, I want to hand it over. I want to hand it over to Joe. But one thing I would say is this, and this is something that all of us have seen with our own eyes, perhaps even live through in our families. I think we live in a, I think we live in an age of cowards of, of the men are punks. And I don't mean that in some tough guy way. No, no, I'm mean, serious. I don't mean that in some tough guy. The reason why is okay. I, I'll take just my, my, my paternal grandparents for an example. Okay. Off the boat from Italy in the early part of the 20th century, poor and uneducated eight kids. Okay. Joe's grandmothers, Joe's grandmother, 17 kids okay and you're complaining about two kids or 2.3 kids remember let's be statistically correct <laughs> Dr. Nemeth, you got to have 2.3 kids joe got married uh late in life at 43 years old has five kids he's 50 okay i got married late in life i had a i have a foster son who's about to be my adopted son again my whole point is this Stop with this nonsense about we have to kill babies for economic success, okay? Because prior generations, whether they were German, whether they were Italian, whether they were Irish, wherever they came from, they had big families, all right? So I don't, so my hand is up like this when I say, I don't want to hear it. Dr. Jo Charles Nemeth joining us here. Joe Racinello, we have some time left. Where do you want to go? I want to talk about the title of your book, Doc. It's Finding Happiness in a Complex World. Now, clearly, the world has gotten a bit more complex, but I want to break down the complex part. Is it really so complex? I mean, again, I I benefited from very simple people. My parents, um, you know, my father was the son of an immigrant. He, he was a, a barber in a one-man barber shop. My mother was a secretary. We were simple people. Um, simple food, buy only what you need. I lived with that 
like mentality. And frankly, I live with it now. So I don't want, you know, it's, it might be harder for others to kind of grasp that. It's just my experience. But even now, I say this because my life isn't that complex. I don't keep a cell phone. I don't keep a cell phone. We have one. My wife has it. Um, we live in a simple house. You know, I don't have like crazy hobbies or habits. You know, I go to work. I come home. I take care of what I got to take care of. I cut the lawn. I, I don't like drama. I don't get involved in drama. My world is not that complex. And I think people can live that way. We make it complex. Talk about that. Because, I mean, yes, there's a lot out there. But you don't have to do it. Oh, no, I, I totally agree. No one has to live like this, but you've been formed and shaped by people that really instill these amazing values that you have. And a lot of young people today, a lot of children don't get those values. They don't experience what you experience. And then you hope that the schools and the church, church can step in and help out a little bit. Look what's going on in most of our schools now. I mean, talk about confusion. I'm not talking about the Catholic schools necessarily, but even there, there's some confusion. Uh, what are the public schools spending three quarters of their time on? Social engineering, everything but literacy, everything but civics, everything but learning how to be a good and human being, a contributing citizen, part of the collective. These are all things that you experienced when you were younger, but they're not experiencing now. That's why we're going to have to turn the ship around get a rudder that really works and start returning to first principles. I don't see a lot of evidence of that in our major institutions, especially colleges and universities, which are completely lost, and our public school systems, which are struggling right now. It's not that every kid in it doesn't want what you have or isn't like what inherently like you are, but they're not getting the guidance that you and I received when we were younger. I, I, would, I had a similar background as you did. And so uh, it is a complicated world when there is no one guiding you at any level. It's not easy. We take it for granted because we were blessed. But a lot of people that I meet, they wouldn't have a clue what you and I are talking about. And that's Dr. a tragedy. Charles, no, no. It, well, well, it is. I would, let me let's um, let's talk a little bit about the. Uh, about philosophy okay let's talk about i mean your book is about thomas aquinas and aristotle okay um i've heard said you may or may not agree with this i think i think having looked at it i do um that there was an ascendancy of catholic intellectual thought in the middle part of the 20th century in america okay primarily uh at schools like notre dame and the university of chicago because their philosophy was thomistic philosophy that's what was being taught. That's what was being spread in the culture in general. And it was it was due the reason why we're now we've we've fallen since the 1960s, particularly from an educational standpoint, is because we've abandoned Thomistic philosophy. I say, and then I'm going to throw it over to you. We take Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida. OK, and all these others and push them. I'm not we're in, we're not book burners. You can leave them on the shelf but move them over to the to, to the butt end of the shelf and put Aquinas and Aristotle back on the shelf and make that your primary, um, what would you call it, 
uh, uh, pedagogy? Is, is, is that the word that, that, yeah, that would use? it's your primary authority for matters that involve uh, faith, morals, and truth. Then uh, talk but, about, if you would, talk about yeah. what might come. Well, let's face it, after Vatican II, Thomas was burned out of the seminaries. They threw him out faster than you can ever imagine. Many seminarians from the period in the 1970s until very recently, never even were exposed to St. Thomas. They, they they might have had a glancing pass at him, but most seminaries were grounded and rooted in Thomism. Even when I went to Niagara University in 1977, and it's true even today, Niagara University requires all of its students to take four courses in Thomism. So there's a few places left. This place here at Franciscan still requires uh, Thomism, but most uh, Catholic uh, institutions of higher learning wouldn't even know what St. Thomas is or what he says, because uh, what, what are they going to remember? They're going to remember, well, he was a this and he was a that. And then, of course, they'll impute all these modern phobias to a 13th century man and right. never see all the glory of what he wrote. So it's an enormous problem. It's an intellectual vacuum that was filled by lightheaded uh, nitwits like uh, uh, you were mentioning Derrida and Foucault. Well, just go back to the, I know it's hard to believe, but if you go back to Germany in the early 1900s, Thomism was reigning supreme all over the country. And guess who stepped in? Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> and, and assorted other losers, which really gave rise to the Third Reich. So there is a correlation between the philosophical underpinnings of your system and the nature of the collective, as well as the individuals who live in the collective. So, I, you know, this is a great tragedy. And what I'm doing, uh, Father Dave, who's the president here at Franciscan, often says, we can't save everything, but we can certainly rebuild our church. This is his famous motto here, one brick at a time. And that's what I'm doing, just like your show is doing that. I'm going to take St. Thomas and I'm going to put him everywhere I can. And when my students are exposed to him, they literally, they they are literally almost in tears because of his brilliance, his genius. And uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I can teach it so openly here. But Notre Dame used to be a center for Thomism. Uh, we still have one up at the uh, University of Toronto at St. Michael's College in Toronto. They're still a center for Thomism up there. Can you imagine that? That's that's a state university or a provincial university, and they have more Thomism than Notre Dame has. Right. So so it is it is a vacuum, and it's a uh, ideas re, uh, reflect the culture, and this is what we have. We have all these uh, airheaded uh, social commentators, social social justice warriors that have taken the place of the great philosophical traditions of Catholicism. Joe, one final question. We only have a few minutes. How do we change it? I think Benedict XVI said it in his 1969 radio address. We have to radiate joy. I think as the world embraces these secular humanistic ideas, as Benedict put it, and I'm paraphrasing, he put it much better than I, um, they will be enveloped in darkness. And I think we're seeing that. We're seeing it. People may not acknowledge it, but we're seeing it. We, however, have to be the beacon on the hill, the Catholics. We have to be that example. That's how we change it, because people believe what they see. What do you think? Doc, oh, got a couple yeah. final comments from you. We've got about two minutes left. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more either. You guys are right on, right spot on on almost every comment I've heard today. I think that we at Franciscan believe that 
we are making a difference every day. It's funny how most colleges are losing students in large numbers. Uh, uh, enrollment is down almost 20% in the United States at colleges and universities. What is Franciscan doing? It's busting at the seams. Its class has never been bigger than this one coming in uh, this year. Next year's looks even bigger. And, Love it. and what we're finding is that people see what we're doing and they appreciate. I often meet with the parents here. We have what are known as parent visitation days. I met with 22 families uh, last Saturday and every one of those parents came up to me at the end of my presentation and said, thank God there's a place like this and thank God for what you're doing. And that's, that is the beacon that I try to be. It's a very imperfect one. <laughs> and my light bulbs sometimes fade, but I do the best that I can given the state of the world. And and thank you for that, Doctor Nemeth. Because uh, listen, that's the, fundamentally, you know, there's a there's a lot of problems. Let's just keep it with America. There's a lot of problems. But but if you think there's not a problem in the education system, and you got your head in the sand, if you think that if you love your child and you think the greatest thing you could do for them is to send them to Harvard, I think you need you need to reassess. You need to reassess what it is you want to give to your child because that's not an education. And I, I think I was right. And, 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 you know, in my research, in fact, so much so that, I mean, if, if, if I remember correctly, uh, the, the greatest into the greatest intellectuals of the mid 20th century were at the university of Chicago in the mid 20th century, Mortimer Adler. Uh, if I remember correctly, Mortimer Adler converted to Catholicism. You know, he yeah. taught Thomistic philosophy and he converted to Catholicism because that's how powerful it is. And that's what we need to do. Dr. Charles Nemeth, where can people buy the book, the title of the book, and where can folks buy it? Finding Happiness in a Complex World, Rules from Aristotle and Aquinas, SophiaInstitute.com. SophiaInstitute.com. Now, if you happen to be on one of those other sites and you're, you, you know, you're buying <laughs> some toiletries and stuff like that, and you come across Dr. Nemeth's book, okay, Joe and I will allow you to buy it there. But outside of that, if you're just going directly from this show to the to your phone or to your computer to buy Dr. Nemeth's book, go on Sophia Institute Press, and there's a lot of great material there. Uh, I, I would attest very briefly that Sophia has been a remarkable press. I have about 11 different presses I work with. I've never met anybody in any press that, that operates like they do. It's phenomenal. They're on a Excellent. mission. They're on a mission too. Well, and that, and that's why when we all need to support one another, Doctor Nemet, this has been a great conversation. It's been an enlightening really conversation. Um, you are welcome back on this show anytime, our brother. Um, and we can hash out these 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 more metaphysical ideas. How about that? Yeah, and and we we also do a lot of things here. We I run a center for criminal justice, law, and ethics. We do a lot of things on uh, justice problems, police problems, any kind of controversial problem relating to the Supreme Court. Uh, we do a lot of that here. So uh, I'm always happy to come on board. Well, keep your email, keep your eyes on your email. You'll be getting another one from Joe and I. Dr. Nimmitt, thank you so much. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Um, and remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.